I'll be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. John, chapter 6, verses 35 through 40, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Before we get started, I need to let you know that what I'm about to talk about will be the most controversial thing I've ever said from this pulpit. Because we're going to start off with the top five free restaurant breads available. And this is my top five list, and I'm already going to let you know Olive Garden doesn't make the list. So this is controversial. Number five on my list goes to Texas Roadhouse. Those rolls they bring out, you can get those rolls at the store, you can get those rolls at several restaurants, but what makes Texas Roadhouse even better, they come out piping hot and you've got that cinnamon butter to go with it. And that cinnamon butter just sets it over the edge. So number five for me is Texas Roadhouse. Number four is Jim and Nick's Barbecue with the cheddar cheese biscuits that they have. Now here's the problem with those things. They come out so small. You don't realize you've eaten ten of them before it's one minute into the meal. But they are wonderful when they come out hot and it's that, that cheddar biscuit taste is so great at Jim and Nick's. And we're going to stick with the cheddar biscuit theme as we go to number three with Red Lobster. I mean, there's very few things that can top a hot cheddar biscuit from Red Lobster. I mean, these things are so popular, you can buy the mix in the store and make them yourself. They are wonderful. And I, on a side note, if you ever get to go to Paula Dean's restaurant, not the one in Savannah, but the chain that they have throughout different places, they have like extra large version of these things. They are fantastic. In addition to this, number two on my list has to go to the Cheesecake Factory. But I need to make a disclaimer. Only one bread at the Cheesecake Factory is worthy of making anyone's list. I don't care who you are, that I guess it's sourdough bread, that white bread they offer, it's nothing. It's pitiful. It shouldn't be there. The brown bread is the only one that deserves any recognition. And if you don't believe me, go to Kroger or go to Publix. That's the only one they put in the store. <laughs> that bread right there is incredible. And when it comes out with that big old block of butter on the plate, it is just a wonderful delight. Number one for me, and this is going to be the most controversial one because not many people would agree with me on this one, but number one for me has to go to Carabas. And it has everything to do with that warm loaf they bring out accompanied by the olive oil dipping sauce and herbs that they bring with it. And there's just nothing like that. I'm known for asking for a loaf and a cup of olive oil to take home with me 
after the meal is over because this stuff is just fantastic. And let's be honest, if you go back to the Last Supper, Jesus was dipping his bread in oil, so this is probably the most biblically correct. (laughs) Just saying, just saying. Anyway, I know everybody would have their own list and it would look very different than my list. But I have the pulpit and you do not, so this is the top five. But why on earth would I start off my sermon talking about bread and thereby create an instant distraction because now the vast majority of you are just thinking about where are we going to lunch today? Why do that? Well, it's because bread was integral to one of Jesus' most challenging teachings. In fact, this teaching of Jesus followed what is quite likely the most impressive miracle he ever performed. It's one of the very few events in the life of Jesus that gets recorded in all four Gospels. It's it's the miracle where he took what was basically a sack lunch and converted it into a buffet for thousands. The feeding of the 5,000, we call it. And in the aftermath of that miracle in John's Gospel, you go to John chapter 6, Jesus is going to be followed by that crowd for many miles. And they're going to be looking to be fed again, but instead of giving them physical food, he gives them spiritual food. And he launches into what is commonly called the bread of life discourse. And in John chapter 6, in this discourse, he's going to recall himself the bread of heaven, the bread of God, the bread of life, and the living bread. There is this tremendous metaphor about bread that Jesus uses. And this morning, I want us to consider why Jesus would associate his identity with bread. And honestly, I think it comes down to two reasons. And the first being this, that Jesus is the source of our salvation. Now, I want you to think about bread for a moment. What does bread do for us? Well, like all other food, or most other foods, I probably should say, bread sustains us. Bread is essential to survival, or at least food is. In the Bible, bread is often used generically in reference to food because it is a dietary staple. As a result, bread is often associated with the sustenance that is necessary for the individual's survival. So you can go to passages like Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 where Jesus, when tempted by the devil to turn stones into the bread, responded by saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And though he, obviously he's quoting an Old Testament passage, but bread there is used in the sense of food in general. Same thing happens in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, where when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he instructed them to include prayer for their daily provisions and did so by, by encouraging them to pray, give us our daily bread. Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 6 and verse 8, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out on a campaign throughout Galilee, and he instructed them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. And then if you go to the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 15, when that younger son came to his senses while working and eating with the pigs, 
he thought to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. And all four instances that I just provided, bread is used in the sense of food, in the sense of sustenance, in the sense of nourishment. It's that which is necessary for survival. So when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, he was identifying himself as that which sustains us so that we can survive spiritually. And I want you to look at some of the statements that Jesus makes in that bread of life discourse in John chapter 6. So if you'll turn to John chapter 6, I want you to notice what he says in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Drop down to verse 47, and Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And then if you get to verses 50 and 51, Jesus says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And finally, look at verse 58. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Did you catch the theme there? Eternal life, living forever, gets repeated over and over again in Jesus' declaration that he's the bread of life. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's comparing himself to the tree of life that was in the midst of the Garden of Eden. Think back to the Genesis account. Adam and Eve are stationed in the garden. They're forbidden from eating one, the fruit of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Scripture never says they can't eat from the tree of life. Death didn't enter the scene until... They sinned by eating the fruit they shouldn't and subsequently were excommunicated from the garden. Death didn't enter the equation until they no longer had access to the tree of life. So as long as they were in the garden, as long as they had access to the tree of life, they had eternal life. And Jesus is essentially saying, I'm the new tree. I'm the bread of life. I'm the source of eternal life. I provide the sustenance your soul needs to live eternally. So when Jesus declares himself the bread of life, he's ultimately, he's ultimately declaring himself as the source of salvation because only through him do we have the spiritual sustenance to live forever. But how do we feed on this bread? How do we feed metaphorically on Jesus Christ? I think that answer can be found in John chapter 6, verse 53 and 54. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. 
Now let's be honest, if we heard that for the first time in person with Jesus speaking and had no context, that would be a very difficult teaching for us to wrap our minds around. And it was, it was for some of the people in Jesus' day. Some people quit following him because they could not grasp the idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What is he really talking about? Obviously, there's a connection here to be made with the Lord's Supper, which we just partook of a few moments ago. Jesus instituted that supper seven chapters after saying this. And he made a comparison between the bread and his body. He made a comparison between the fruit of the vine and his blood. But is that the only thing to which Jesus is referring? I'm not completely sold that that's the only thing. It is one thing for sure. But I also think that maybe in talking about his flesh and blood here and our interaction with it, it's a metaphorical way of referring to how we receive eternal life. Think about it this way. In order to live eternally, we have to believe that Jesus lived in the flesh. In order to live eternally, we have to believe that Jesus lived in the flesh. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I know that verse doesn't say anything about believing that Jesus lived in the flesh. But there is an inference you have to make from that verse. If we're to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, we have to inherently believe that he lived in the flesh. Because you can't die, you can't be raised from the dead unless you first lived in the flesh. And so believing that Jesus lived a fleshly human life is essential to salvation. We have to believe that he was like one of us, experiencing life like one of us, but doing so sinlessly. We have to believe that if we want to inherit eternal life. In fact, if you go over to 2 John and look at verse 7 of that book. John says that if you do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, then you have the spirit of the Antichrist. You have a spirit that is contradictory to that of Jesus Christ if you don't believe he came in the flesh. That's how important believing this is. And so maybe when Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh, he's not just talking about when we commune with one another and with him around the Lord's table. Maybe he's also referring to the fact that we must believe that he came in the flesh. But let's talk about the blood now. See, in order to live eternally, we have to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Scripture asserts that we are justified by his blood in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Scripture says that we are redeemed through his blood in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. And Scripture says that we are reconciled by his blood in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. In fact, John summarized the power of Christ's blood when he said the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. The blood of Jesus 
cleanses us from all sin. Now, that begs the question, how do you come in contact with the blood of Jesus that cleanses all your sins? Well, that contact is made when you are buried with him through baptism, as Romans chapter 6 says. Because being buried with Christ in baptism is how one washes away their sins. That's exactly what Paul understood when Ananias came to him and said, Now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. If the blood of Jesus cleanses us, then we need the blood of Jesus to wash over us so the sins are forgiven. And the only way that that can happen is if we are baptized into Christ so that those sins are washed away, so that they are cleansed and removed. And so maybe as Jesus in this bread of life discourse talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, maybe there is an overarching message of how we receive eternal life. And we receive it by believing that he came in the flesh. And we receive it by being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Maybe that's one way that Jesus is our sustainer. Maybe that's one way that he is the bread of life. He's sufficient to provide the provisions we need for spiritual life, for eternal life. Jesus is the bread of life because he is the source of our salvation, but he is also the bread of life because he is the source of our satisfaction. Another important attribute of bread is that it satisfies hunger. You know, we have two different types of appetites. We have a physical appetite that requires food to satiate it, and we have a spiritual appetite that requires something greater to satisfy it. In fact, that's the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon attempted to satisfy his spiritual appetite with everything the world had to offer. In fact, you can go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You can read verses 3 through 10, which I'm going to do right now, and see all the things that Solomon tried to satisfy his hunger with. Beginning in verse 3, he said, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven, under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the, the forest of growing trees. I bought my, myself male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Now look at what Solomon learned about the ability of the world to satisfy the soul's appetite. It comes in the very next verse, verse 11. 
Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon's trying to fill a hunger that can't, to trying to satisfy a hunger with things of this world, but found out it's a hunger that the world can't address. And so if you get over to the next chapter of Ecclesiastes, to chapter 3, the wisest person who ever lived who wasn't God in the flesh came to the realization that his hunger needed something else. And that's why in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, after he quoted the Birds 1965 hit song, Turn, 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 I'm being facetious, he said in verse 11 that God, who has made everything beautiful in its time, has also put eternity into man's heart. That's the appetite you can't quench with physical food. That eternity that God has placed in man's heart is an appetite that longs for something greater. Within every one of us is that appetite, is that hunger. Within every one of us is that desire for something greater than this world has to offer. And nothing in this world is ever going to quench that appetite. And so Solomon said that God created within each of us a soul that will last forever, and with it comes an appetite that longs for that which is eternal. So what is it that can satisfy our soul's appetite? Well, the answer is Jesus. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 33. Jesus said, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's referring to himself. That's why in this chapter he's referred to himself as the bread of life, the bread of heaven, the bread of God, the eternal bread so many times because it's him. And I want you to notice something about John chapter 6 and verse 33. Jesus did not say the bread of God will give life to the world. As if the life he's talking about is limited to something that can only be experienced in a far off future existence. No, he used present tense. He gives life to the world. Jesus said that the bread of God gives life in the present, not just the future. And that means that you can find complete satisfaction for your spiritual hunger in him right now. Think about it this way. Our souls long for rest. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we have been longing for rest. Do you remember the consequence God instituted because Adam listened to the voice of Eve rather than to him? It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat 
of your face you shall eat bread. The consequence of man's first sin was pain. Sin brought suffering. Sin brought hardship. Sin brought difficulty. Sin brought burdens. Sin compromised our rest. They had it made in the garden. They worked, but it wasn't work that compromised energy. I can't explain that. I don't know what that looks like. Because we haven't had that available to us since the garden, since man got kicked out. But Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28 and 29, invited all who are weary and burdened, all who are weary and burdened. Let's pause for a moment. Does anyone here feel weary? Raise your hand. Don't lie, you're in the church building. Does anyone here feel burdened? Raise your hand. All who are weary and burdened. He invites them to come to him, promising that if they do, he will give them rest. If you're in need of or in search of true rest, there's only one place it can be found, and that's in Jesus Christ. You know, our souls also long for peace. Ever since the Garden of Eden, mankind has been in search of peace. Do you know what the very first event recorded in the Bible after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden? Do you know what it is? It's murder. Adam and Eve have kids, Cain and Abel. Cain gets jealous of Abel, and Cain kills Abel. The very first event after the Garden of Eden comes to an end is not peaceful. And ever since then, we've been in a world absent peace. World peace has not existed since the Garden of Eden. But in John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said, In me you may have peace. In the world, he admits, you're going to have trouble. But in him, you can find peace because he has overcome the world. And if you're in need of or in search of true peace, there's only one place it can be found, and that's in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Our souls long for direction. Ever since the Garden of Eden, our souls have longed for direction. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that one of the consequences was Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the garden. And ever since then, we've been trying to get back. See, when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had this uniquely intimate and special connection with the Lord. We're told that the Lord would, would come down into the garden and, and walk among the garden how beautiful is that? The relationship between Adam and Eve was so intimate uh, with God. Their relationship was so intimate and so unique and so special. God made them close. But then they got kicked out of the garden. And deep down, we're all longing to get back there. But we need direction. 
We don't know the way home. But Jesus declared in John chapter 14 that in his Father's house there are many rooms and he's going to prepare a place for us. And then in verse 6 of that chapter he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's telling us if you want to get home, just follow me. I've got the directions. You see, you may not think that Jesus can satisfy your needs right now. But you may only think that because you don't know what your real needs are. Jesus, as the bread of life, is the one who satisfies our true needs. But you know what my greatest fear is? I'm afraid that many believers are absolutely confident that the bread of life can save, but they're not so confident that he can satisfy. I think many Christians live as though, yes, Jesus will save my soul on the day of judgment, but right now he can't do anything for today. He can't satisfy what I need today. So they go and look for alternatives. They live as though something more than Jesus is needed in order for them to be fulfilled in this life. They look for Christ to take away their sins, but they look to other places to feed their souls. Is that you? See, what ends up happening in that situation is you begin to let the lusts of life become an unhealthy substitute for a soul-satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. The bread of life came not just to save us in the future, but to satisfy us in the present. And I think that's why he compared himself to manna. Now, picture on the screen is not manna. We don't have a picture of manna. We don't know exactly what manna looked like. That's just frost. But based on the description in Exodus chapter 16 of what manna was, it was this substance that appeared on the ground after the dew lifted. It's described like a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground and colored white. So, hey, that works for me. You know, after the Jews asked Jesus for a sign in that, that whole bread of life discourse, after they, after they asked him for a sign and pointed out that their forefathers received manna, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 32 and 33, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He made a comparison with manna. Earlier we saw he made a comparison with the tree of life. But what's this comparison with the manna? One preacher pointed out that like manna, Jesus doesn't need to be supplemented. The Israelites went out every morning and gathered enough manna to feed themselves that day. They didn't have to go get something else. They weren't out there collecting the manna and going, yeah, we better get some, some fruit over there out of that tree or some berries out of that bush. Maybe we should go check the garden and see if any carrots have sprouted. No. The manna was all they needed. Jesus is all you need to be satisfied for that eternity in your heart, for that soul 
that is longing with its appetite, Jesus is all you need. Just like the manna was all they needed for their, spirit, for their physical diet, Jesus is all you need for your spiritual diet. But there is one big difference between the manna and Jesus. The children of Israel didn't have an option to eat anything but manna. They were in the wilderness. It was the manna or nothing that day. You and I have a smorgasbord of options. We can choose something besides the bread of life to feed our souls. Now, it's not going to work, but some of us seem determined to try. And the Bible says this about that endeavor in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. There is no greater source of nourishment, there is no richer food on this earth than Jesus Christ. Everything else might fill us up, but it will never satisfy. There's only one source of true spiritual nourishment, and that's Jesus. You know, at the end of World War II, Europe was overwhelmed with orphans, and the orphans were placed in camps where they could be cared for. And despite finally having their needs met and not having to survive out on their own, out in the world, these orphans were having trouble sleeping. So a psychologist was brought in to try and figure out what the problem was. And after talking with some of the kids, the psychologist recommended that the camps give each child a slice of bread to sleep with at night. He had discovered that the kids had lived so long on the edge of starvation that they just worried that tomorrow they weren't going to have anything to eat. And by simply giving them a piece of bread to sleep with, their anxiety was resolved. And they had what they needed to sustain them through the night. And maybe that's what you need this morning. Jesus is the bread of life that saves and satisfies. If you don't have him in your life, if you don't have him in your life, then you're never going to be free regarding anxiety tomorrow. And so this morning, whether you need the bread of life to save you or you need to understand the satisfaction that he offers you today, we offer the invitation. Whatever your need may be, the bread of life has the answer. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?